on a mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cinenauts! Hey, this is Ian. I'm Boom. This is Catcher. And welcome to Cinenauts Exploring the Criterion, where each week we talk about a different movie in the Criterion Collection or the Criterion Channel. This week, we are joined by a very, very special guest. You may have heard her in our voicemails giving me beef for my overpronunciation of French words like la haine. You did it. You did it so well. That was so good. You can also, I've been practicing. She is also one of the three co-hosts on a brand new podcast called Hope This Finds Me Well, ladies and gentlemen, fellow synonauts, Sophie Shin. Sophie, how's it going? Hello, I'm good. How are you? So excited to have you on the show, Sophie. (laughs) This is so fun. I'm like, no word of a lie. I listen every single week. I'm your biggest fans, and I'm so sorry that I came like... I, I like threw any kind of shade. I was I was just trying to help y'all. There was I didn't want to throw any shade, but yeah, we, it makes us it makes yeah. us better. You know, it makes us better. Yeah, yeah. It makes us stronger people. Now we're coming correct. My French is like honestly kind of embarrassing. Like I'm like half French and it's like pretty bad. So I, I'm like I don't know who I think I am. Like trying to help them with this, but Listen. Just, yeah. So hi. It's fine. It's fine. It's yeah. water under the bridge. Uh, and okay, well, we're cool. glad you're here because later we're going to talk about Akira Kurosawa's seminal Seven Samurai. Uh, before we get to that and talk about some other things, let's chat a little bit about your new podcast. Hope this finds me well. Uh, so what is this pod all about? I never know where to start when I try and like explain this podcast. But basically, um, I work at a like a podcast production a company based out of Canada and we decided to put out our first original podcast this year um and it's called Hope This Finds Me Well. I'm one of the three co-hosts along with Steph and Maria and we talk to people who have written letters to themselves um and sent them to the future. That's a weird way to put it. People write letters to themselves and they get it in the future using a website called future me um basically you can chuck in a a letter you want to write to yourself and then chuck in a date you want it to come to you and then on that date it'll be in your inbox um so it's kind of like a time capsule slash diary journal all that kind of stuff and they have this like public archive of a shit ton of letters um so basically we sifted through thousands of letters and picked ones that we really liked whether they were funny or personal or endearing or heartbreaking or sad or whatever and we got in touch with people and interviewed them so we talked to like really regular people about like seemingly like mundane kind of like everyday things but like there's some really beautiful stories in it so yeah it launched last week and yeah it's season one so we'll see how it goes the premise of the lake house is that what this is that what this is about? Oh, I kind of tagged it as this is us, the podcast. Oh, nice. Because it kind of like goes nice. back and forth People in time. People will not be crying every episode. I <laughs> I have cried. I've listened to the first three episodes and I've cried two out of three. So wow. I beg okay. to okay, differ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's it's some good stories. Uh catcher boom. What let let's say you were 15 years old. 
what are three things you would have written to yourself for your 20 year old self? Try try and transfer. Don't, don't try and be cute and predict, Oh, I want to, I was going to be a graphic designer. Like, what do you think your 15 year old self would have told you? I love this. Your 20 year old self. Oh God. I, I think the first thing would be like, just let go of, wanting to wear low-cut jeans that is for (laughs) britney spears and britney spears only and it's okay and high waist is what's up that's (laughs) that's what i think i I would fully agree say to my 20 year old self as a 15 year old (laughs) and as a 30 year old i'm like just wear sweatpants so (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) Catch I honestly don't know. I was thinking what I would really like to have done is like if I could go back and tell my 15 year old self to s- start playing basketball more, oh. that would have been great. Actually. <laughs> oh, but that's yeah, you're I'm tall like now. that. I hated basketball when I was a kid. Um, okay, what would I have said? I would have been like, yeah, like I can't, I'm so hyped for you. Like it would have been like a congratulatory letter. About like mm, how nice. much of a, like a popular artist you became, and just like psyching myself mm. up, just be like everyone in the world knows you, everyone loves you. I'm <laughs> so that. happy that you made your dreams a reality. And then I would get that email like next oh. week, like at my shitty job, and then just open it and feel so good. <laughs> just be like, yeah, I've <laughs> so achieved nice. it. I've done it. What about you, Ian? Yeah, I love that. I wasn't thinking actively for myself while I was asking yeah, you. Yeah, and I knew you were asking this question, so you didn't actually have to be the one to I answer know. it. I, I don't know. I probably would have said, uh, I hope you're making music, I think. Because at 15, I was, like, very set on, like, I'm going to be a really? musician and, like, Aww. be a music major and do a lot sort of stuff. So I'm assuming that um, that definitely would have been on there. I probably would have said, like, I hope you're enjoying college marching band. And <laughs> stop right now. I just Those watched Drumline. Probably... <laughs> <laughs> Drumline is killer. I love that movie. Uh, yeah. So that, those probably would have been in, in my letter. Nice. That's so cute. I don't want to talk about Seven Samurai anymore. I just want to talk about Ian's past wow. and the fact that he was in a marching band. <laughs> is uh, Sophie, is it cheating if we ask you that? Is that a part of your show if we try and get this answer out of you now? Or do people have to listen in to get that from you? It's not like super cheating. We do write a letter. Like we kind of like task ourselves to write a letter to ourselves at mm. the beginning of the season. Ooh. And we get it at the end. Cool. So... Nice. Oh, no. You'll be able to see okay, that. Okay, we'll use that. That that'll be the teaser to make sure everyone listens yeah. to uh, to uh, hope yeah. this finds me well. What what days do those come out? Tuesdays. Tuesdays. So yeah, there's already four episodes out. We launched with three apps, so people can binge, um, and then one came out today. And yeah, so it's eleven episodes in the season, so it's nice and easy. Nice. So before we get to Seven Samurai, Boom kicked off our Black History Month specials uh, last week. I love it. By talking um, about Ganja and Hess. So basically the uh, thesis of Boom's uh, project for this month is that Criterion Collection just does not have enough films directed by black directors. Um, And so we want to shine a light on some things. So on some films (laughs) that we think should be featured in uh, in the Criterion Collection or channel. Uh, so this is my week this week, and I apologize. I'm not going to have such an eloquently written uh, statement about my <laughs> film as uh, as Boom did last week. But and I think I'm probably going to want to do this at some point for this podcast. So this could be a little yes. bit of a teaser 
Um, but I want to talk about one of my favorite movies of 2019. And one of my favorite movies, I think, period, is uh, 2019's The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was uh, yes. d- written and directed by Joe Talbot, also written by Rob Reichert, starring uh, Jimmy Fails and Joe Talbot. Um, if you haven't seen it, it is basically about a young black man who lives in San Francisco. At one point in time, his family owned a really beautiful Victorian house. And if you're not familiar with that, it is a Victorian house or basically the full house houses. Um, that's what they are when you watch full house in the opening credits and the house they live in. That is a Victorian. Um, and he owned that house in a really, his family used to own it in a really, what is now a really nice neighborhood in San Francisco in the Mission District. Um, but he actually lives in the uh, one of the less, uh, you know, prestigious parts of San Francisco, Bayview, Hunters Point. It's definitely one of the more rundown areas um, of San Francisco for very, all sorts of reasons. Um, if you're not familiar with that area, also it's where those San Francisco 49ers used to play, uh, Candlestick Park. Um, and also just side note, I don't know if I've said this, but I'm from San Francisco for people who are what? listening to the pod who don't know that. So cool. uh, this movie lines up for me in a lot of ways. Um, I love movies that are uh, love stories, love letters to the city they take place in. Um, oftentimes because the director or the writer or the people starring in it, it's, they make a, a more personal film when it's obviously about a city they care about. And this is very much the case um, in this film. Uh, both Fails and Talbot grew up in San Francisco together, and they had always talked about wanting to make movies. Um, and this film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, is basically started off as like a small project that was a Kickstarter uh, I think it made like $50,000 out of like a $15,000 or $25,000 Kickstarter goal. Um, and then it ended up getting like close to $100,000 and they were able to shoot a short version of it. Um, I think it was called American Paradise. Uh, and then it later became uh, a, a long version of The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And this nice. movie, um, people from San Francisco, and I'm sure people like in any major city can relate to these sort of stories where, um, you know, massive... Uh, inequality of wealth dispersion among people of color mm-hmm. and uh, rich, uh, affluent uh, white people uh, in particular <laughs> in San Francisco. That is a big deal. Obviously a big story. There's like the tar- startup scene, how they have basically run out. What is like, what is old San Francisco? And right. um, you know, the story is just beautiful about Jimmy fails and Jonathan majors, how they're trying to recapture what they believed was their part of San Francisco and what their family is. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into too much detail about it. Cause I really think going more into that kind of spoils a lot of the story, but it is beautifully, beautifully shot and yes. so well acted. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I really wish Jonathan majors got nominated for best uh, supporting actor for that. Year. I think he actually should have won, not just nominated. Yeah. Jimmy fails is also amazing. Um, but yeah, highly, highly recommended. It's just, such a, I mean, I like get chills thinking about it. It's yeah. such a fantastic, fantastic movie. Uh, Boom, I know you're a big fan of it. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, well, so I hadn't seen it. And the first week that we did this show, I think I brought up watching Lovecraft Country and Ian, you spoke about Last Black Man in San Francisco. And I watched it immediately and fall in, fell in love with it immediately. I think I watched it three times. I also forced Sophie to watch it. Although, I mean, she loved it, but it's just a (laughs) very beautiful story about friendship. And Mm -hmm. I think it's the best, one of the best depictions of two strong black leads, two strong black men having this like intimate 
friendship that isn't always shown on screen because I think black men are often played to be these like macho, um, macho types that don't show emotion, um, which was really great. A really like deep look into gentrification in the black diaspora. I love everything. The soundtrack amazing. So what mm-hmm. a lovely picky in what, what a yeah. lovely thing yeah. to, uh, Agreed. to put on. It's like one of the, my most favorite opening mm. scenes in a movie ever mm-hmm. when they're on the skateboard yeah. together. Uh, like, it's just like so beautiful yeah. that, yeah, it's chills. I got mm. chills. <laughs> uh, catch. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. It's really good. And the thing that I like sort of the most about it is it, it doesn't have like necessarily like, uh, the structure or maybe like the plotting that you would expect the movie to have. Um, and I think it just sort of like takes the nar- some liberties with narrative and stuff that mm-hmm. I just think are so great. Like, it's just not what you're expecting. And I, I just find that so special. And, the, but the performances just like lock you in to what's going on. And absolutely just one of those movies that you feel more than you watch. Like you're, mm-hmm. it's just, it's mm-hmm. constantly just like flowing over you. Yeah, I think it's awesome. So, agreed. Great pick. Yeah, when when I think about like black excellence in filmmaking, this is like basically the bar. Like, shout out. Yeah. You know, recent, recently, Moonlight and all that sort of stuff. But I think the last Black Man in San Francisco is just so damn good. So yeah, big fan, big big fan of the movie. Um, yeah. So that was our brief chat about the last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, I I love it. I reserve the right to have one of us use it again for a full episode of, um, of a, a Criterion edition in, in yes. the future. Uh, oh, but yeah. Anyway, do we want to quickly roundtable and we're going to have one thing they want to talk about that they watched this week? Um, Sophie, want, want to start with you? Okay, I watched like a decent amount this weekend, but I think maybe the one I'll talk about is Promising Young Women. Mm-hmm. Because... <laughs> nice. I guess just everyone's talking about it in different <laughs> ways. Um, I didn't love it. I, I to be honest, to just be frank, yeah. uh, I did not love it. I know everyone has different experiences with it, which is fair. Um, but yeah, I thought it was just kind of white feminism kind <laughs> of stuff, and didn't actually like, you know in my view, didn't serve its purpose for mm. the conversation it was trying to have. And I feel like it was trying to say a lot, but ended up saying nothing. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about the ending so much, but I won't because... Yeah, we, yeah, I, I, we, yeah. we can offline about it. I also <laughs> yeah, have yeah. thoughts about the ending as well. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I guess it, it's getting us talking about the sexual subject. assault yeah. and the subject matter. So I guess that's good. But yeah, I, I have some qualms. Mm. Totally. I'm glad it exists and I'm glad that it's putting, you know, these conversations on the table. I think it's doing it in a trying, attempting to do it in a different way, which is good. I, I like seeing kind of women taking, um, inspire, creative inspiration from these things and putting them out there in different, in, in different ways as a way to kind of, as like, a general catharsis and a, a way to like work through it. Um, but I agree with mm-hmm. you, Sophie. I landed on the side of not liking it in the end. Yeah. I don't love that. You don't know who it's for. Like I was mm-hmm. like, who is this movie made for? Like if this is made for, I mean, 
victims of sexual assault. I don't know if that's a great thing. Yep. So, yeah. but yeah, no, I agree, Jess. Yeah. But yeah, that's one of the things I watch this weekend <laughs> with many other things. <laughs> Boom. What about you? I didn't watch too much. Um, I did season three of The Sinner. Uh, it's kind of a hate watch at this point. I'll Wait, talk about it. Another- yeah, there's a third season with Matt <laughs> Bomer. So cool. Love him. Um, I'll talk about that another time. But I just watched the framing Britney Spears uh, yes, documentary. That's what I was going to talk about. Oh, okay. Oh. Then maybe I will just talk. Okay, I'll just talk about the sinner then. <laughs> no, no, no. Talk about Brit- talk about Britney. Two birds, one stone. Okay, cool. So I watched the framing Britney Spears documentary, um, which I should have been doing work today, and I just watched that instead. <laughs> I back in the day was like a huge fan of Britney Spears. Still am, to be honest. Like, oh, yeah. you know, Who she's wasn't? a pop princess. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very insightful and interesting. I agree with Proto's take. I saw he watched it, that it's very weighted and biased, biased considering a mm-hmm. lot of the, a lot of what they're presenting is um, spec, speculative. Um, I re- di- did really enjoy kind of like the first part where they're like laying the ground for, you know, her come up and all of that. And I had this like interesting epiphany it wasn't necessarily like new information but just because I was so invested in Britney Spears as a young person um it was interesting just seeing them kind of talking about her dealing with the paparazzi and the way that the media worked against her and kind of like antagonized her and all the stuff with Justin Timberlake and like his fragile masculinity and things (laughs) like that and I just had this Mm -hmm. like epiphany where I was just like this was the time like this was the era that like I grew up in and which was probably Mm -hmm. that we all grew up in which was probably like the worst of times in terms of like media and music not music don't come for Britney catcher as if (laughs) have you listened to lucky lately Jesus I guess. Wait, so, do you yeah. mean in yeah. terms of like Sorry. our treatment of celebrities or? <laughs> I'll just go. I mean, Sophie's here. I'll just go. It's cool. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't take it over. Typical Sagittarius. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was more so just kind of like watching that go down, being a part of those conversations. I remember talking about if Britney Spears was a virgin. I remember talking about like mm-hmm. if she had had a boob job, just kind of like the inter- internalized misogyny that came, that comes mm-hmm. with like growing up in that time and now being on the other end of that and being like, whoa, like that was, that was messed up. So it was a wavy experience for me. How did you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, I uh, feel the same way. I mean, I thought it was really interesting because I just like remember all those things happening and I remember thinking like, this is like totally just a normal conversation to have. Yeah. Uh, but then obviously like in hindsight is like pretty awful, especially seeing... Um, obviously all like the male commentary about it was like awful, but I was like pretty shocked seeing like Diane Sawyer, like jumping in and like joining the conversation about that. That actually was pretty eye opening to me. 
you know, I, at first I was like, man, these people like are really like into Britney Spears. I mean, like, man, that's, 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 oh, yeah. but then, but then Tara was like, well, what if, what if this was happening to Paul McCartney? And I was like, <laughs> I guess I, I mean, I would do the same. I mean, I guess, right. I'd do the same thing. So I get, wow. you know, she did Paul like, get a boob job. Find yeah. out next week. <laughs> There's people who like decode her Instagram being like, is yeah, she okay? Is she in trouble? Oh, yeah. Right. And Ian would do the same for Paul. I think that's, was that the. Yeah. Yeah. Or like if Paul, you know, if Paul McCartney was held under uh, uh conservatorship, I may have some like bones to pick yeah. with his conservators as well. Uh, yeah. It was really interesting though, but I agree. I think it, it, you know, since it was only like an hour, 20 minutes, it, it, I, to me, it suffered a little bit just because like you said, it just seemed like super biased. Yeah. Um, I'm not mm. saying that none of that is true. Obviously they have a lot of that is true, but there are obviously things like, you know, I, I kind of take issue and this is <laughs> slight derailment, but like I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan, but I really take issue with the way she handles uh, her public like fights, like in particular, the thing with like mm. her record label and like owning of her like of her like songs. Yeah. Like, I understand she. Yes, I firmly believe she should own them, but she is also taking advantage of the fact that people like her Twitter army does not understand anything about music laws or copyright laws or anything like that and like weaponizes it very very easily and Mm -hmm, so without giving the other side like for all i'm 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 not a music legal expert but for all i know uh what's his name is completely right in owning the music and it's just like a shitty deal and that's kind of the end you know and so i I get like complex issue yeah it's complex and it's hard to narrow down with like the only people they interviewed are basically like the lawyers i mean obviously they reached out to other people as well but i think they could have had some sort of people on the other side who say like, actually like legally X, Y, Z happened, you know, it could, it could yeah. have held a little bit of that for me, but overall it's very eye opening and really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's also our culture is just obsessed with some kind of conspiracy all right. the time. Yeah. So it's like, it doesn't surprise Absolutely. me that this kind of stuff exists or like this movie was made, <laughs> right. but yeah, no, I agree. But yeah. also free Britney. Yes. Also <laughs> hashtag free Britney. Uh, all right. Catcher. What about you? Uh, okay, so this week, not too, too much stuff. I was, like, kind of busy. Um, but I did have the privilege uh, to watch two short films. I'm not going to get too, too much into them, uh, but they're both directed by Joseph Ameda. Uh, he's a local Toronto uh, director. They're two shorts, and they're absolutely beautiful. Um, I won't go too much into them, only because we are lucky enough to actually have Joseph coming on the show next Ooh, week. Cool. Which is really cool. Um, I got to meet them a couple months ago, I guess, uh, playing some board games uh, and oh. some trivia stuff. Uh, mm. Cute. And we got to talking about movies somehow, and then we just started getting talking, and it was really great. We had an amazing conversation, and I was like, I know exactly what to do next. Uh, so I talked to everyone uh, on the pod and I was like, guys, we need to have Joseph come on. So we're lucky enough to have him come and it's, I'm really excited. Um, in terms of one of the short films that I'll just quickly talk about was called House, which is about uh, two young black kids who are just a day in their life leading up to them going to hang out at a Kiki ball and perform. And uh, it's just a story of their day and what happens and it's honestly beautiful uh the performances are really really stunning uh the cinematography during sort of the performance sequences are gorgeous 
So um, cool. Not possible for a lot of people to watch. Unfortunately, they're just uh, they were put out like for festivals. So we got some access to some screeners. So I'll pass that stuff on to you guys so you can watch them Ooh. before next week. Yes. Um, cool. But yeah, really excited for that. So uh, yeah, look out for that. Are next they week. set in Toronto? I'm not. Um, not explicitly, but there are a couple shots like the TTC. They'll get on the TTC and that sort of thing. So it's not explicitly cool. in Toronto, but uh, it's definitely shot here. So really cool. Really excited. I, I love some Toronto, some Toronto content. Yeah. Torcon. Torcon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I had never heard CanCon until this show. And to be honest, I kind of made up what it made in my head for the first three episodes. And then I kind of got it. <clears throat> so I'm kind of obsessed with CanCon and blank. Oh, it's... Anything Such Canadian a Canadian con. lingo. And we're thing. very obsessed with it. Like our radio stations <laughs> yeah. have to sh- have a, like a certain percentage of like CanCon played during the day. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, is it just, just Drake nonstop? Yeah. <laughs> yeah basically. <laughs> for, and for like growing up, growing up all, I was listening to like a lot of rock alternative and that just equaled to some 41. That's or it. Rush. Some 41. <laughs> it, or Rush. Yeah. Maybe Rush, but maybe not even Rush because it de- it has to also have been recorded in Canada oh, by so rec- yeah. like oh, wow. double standard, like okay. by record like Canadian yeah. like, right. producers and things. Like, yeah. whole thing. Wow! Right it's now, the big CanCon is Shit's Creek, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah, obviously. Like that's like major CanCon. Can that's con. like some of our biggest CanCon to escape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shit's Since Creek, William Shatner, and Justin Bieber, and the Shat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, so, Sophie, I believe you are taking us on a journey. Let's get in our time machines. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and I, we're going to the year of 1954, where uh, Japanese uh, filmmaker Akira Kurosawa has released um, a Japanese epic samurai drama film that he co-wrote, edited, and directed. Um, So while Kurosawa was the first Japanese director to see international acclaim in the early 50s with films um, such as Rashomon, um, Seven Samurai was one of his first films to really get big in the Western world. And it was also one of the first Japanese films, um, like many... Yeah, many viewers in the Western part of the world had ever seen. Um, and as a result, it kind of introduced the whole Japanese culture in a way, um, which was kind of foreign um, at first in the mainstream. And uh, it made it accessible to audiences who typically loved Hollywood Westerns. Um, so Kurosawa's films can be thought as a combination of the conventions of Western films with um a combination of radical new fusion of Japanese genres, um, which includes swordplay films and period dramas. Um, so Seven Samurai, which is the film we watched this week, um, is one of Kurosawa's most influential films, and it's acclaimed to be one of the greatest and most influential films ever made. It's celebrated for its primal and simple plot um, with solemn themes packed in. Um, but somehow never really loses momentum, even with a three and a half hour runtime. So the movie's influence can be felt by like so many films that we see as classics today. Um, it's one of the OG assemble the crew story arcs. Um, <laughs> so lit. So 
so lit, which so many modern day superhero superhero movies try to master, but can never seem to live up to Kurosawa's clarity and simplicity. Um, its budget was a shocking $500,000, which at the time was a lot of money, um, but now seems like kind of pennies for a film of its scale. Um, but yeah, at the time, it was one of the most expensive films ever produced in Japan. Filming took 146 days, which was far longer than planned. And the extended fan- final battle scene was shot in the depths of winter with uh, the cast in sandals slogging through <laughs> um, nearly frozen mud. So this movie was an epic in every single way. Yes. Um, I'm sorry if any of those facts are not completely true, but I'm pretty sure they are. (laughs) Um, Ian, I know you're a Kurosawa fan, so I don't know if you have anything to add to that synopsis. I was pumped you picked this movie because I am, like I said, a a huge Kurosawa fan. Uh, This, like, watching it kind of, like, took me back to my youth, very similar to what I said, like, um, when we watched Barry Lyndon, I Kurosawa actually Seven Samurai was the first Criterion Collection like piece of DVD I ever bought. Um, cool. I and so I remember just like I haven't seen this movie in maybe like ten years or so. I watched it nice. so much so as a kid, and like when I watched it, it was sort of those things again where I like remembered like every scene and it all you know it all just is just so perfect to me every time. Yeah. So I'm glad we got to to revisit this. But uh, Sophie, why did you pick pick this one? Had you seen this before? I'd never seen it. Nice. I, 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 it's just one of those movies that everyone talks about as being like one of the greatest films ever made. And through like listening to your podcast, I kind of like go through this, the criterion every once in a while. And I saw that it was like spine number two. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that must mean it's important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Yeah. And then some close friends of mine watched it recently and I saw it on their letterbox. I'm like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. You guys asked me to come on. So I'm like, we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing yeah. it. <laughs> Nice. Also, I wanted to bring in some like Asian cinema to your lineup. Nice. Because I don't know if you've done any Asian we cinema did, yet. So we did Parasite. Parasite. Oh, true. That was our true. first one. Yeah. Um, Different, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. So, uh, what were people's initial thoughts? Because I think I'm the only one who had seen this out of everyone on on uh, the call then. So let's roundtable. What were people's first thoughts um, uh, after viewing it? Start with. Uh, let's start with Catcher. So when I was like sitting down to watch this, I was like both hyped and scared because (laughs) uh, like Sophie said, it's like it's a movie that everyone talks about. uh, And I usually get pretty nervous around movies like that because I just don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, And I realized that there's like an intermission at about hour. I think (laughs) it's like hour 47. Exactly halfway. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I will. I'll do the first. I'll do the first like two hours. And then I'll go to bed and then in the morning I'll get up and I'll watch like the next hour and a half and just finish it off that way. And I reached the intermission and I was like, well, I'm not not watching this now. Like I was so like ready to just watch the rest of this. Like it it does such a great job of setting up, you know, finding the, all your characters and then Mm -hmm. setting them, bringing them to the village and like, prepping the village and then you get this amazing speech that just like riles you up Mm, and then it goes into intermission and you're like, I'm riled up. I want to fight some (laughs) bandits. 
Let's defend some barley. Let's kick some ass. Like, let's go. So it was just like, okay, I'm, I'll be up till two now. I don't mind. I'm going to watch this. And it was yeah. so fun. It's so fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I agree. It was it was uh, like an easy three and a half hour watch. Yeah. If there is one that exists, yeah. <laughs> um, that that was it. I did do it in two sittings only because I'm really bad at falling asleep. <laughs> like when I watch movies past 9 p.m. So I start. Do you want to know something so funny? I was like messaging our group chat yesterday and I was like, Sophie said she started the movie and she's not responding to me. So she must be focusing. <laughs> and then you... <laughs> And then this morning I get a message being like, sorry, I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, I finished it after work today. So nice. um, it's fresh in my fresh. mind. Yeah. Uh, boom, what about you? Yeah, I felt the same as Catcher. Like I was super excited, but also a little bit intimidated. I was, you know, I was like really just like I need to hunker down and just focus. But I also really... Loved it a lot. I thought it was hype AF um, from Jump. Mm-hmm. Like when the man pops out from the hay and he's just mm-hmm. like, oh man. After like the bandits come by, I was like, okay. Like yeah. I just know this is going to be lit. And I just really like the journey that it takes you on. Like I love that we get to kind of like get an intimate acquaintance with all of the samurai and like kind of get their backstories and mm-hmm. they're all so different and but and you know they're all like resisting at the beginning and then kind except for the one except for except for my boyfriend he's like please <laughs> let me be a samurai but <laughs> how did you feel about your boyfriend's hair yeah so my boyfriend is katsushiro and i loved his hair sophie thank you for asking and okay. <laughs> but anyways <laughs> back to my point I just like, I love the insight of who they were. It made me very excited. I love that they were all so different. And then on the second, like at the bottom half of the film, uh, when everything kind of kicks off, it's just all feels very wholesome and like well put together. And the conclusion is satisfying, even though it's kind of sad. Um, And there's just like a lot of, there was a lot of good comedy, a lot of like powerful stuff, a lot of cool, you know, editing things worked into it so mm-hmm. yeah i had a great time with it i i loved it love love loved it yeah let's let's yeah. talk about uh our namesake seven samurai so were there any um i think catcher already said about how well kurosawa just sets up all these guys so quickly even like n- not just like with dialogue just every direction of their body language is so mm-hmm. specific obviously uh uh, Kukichu. Oh God, I'm so bad at these names. Me too. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Kukichu, uh, played by the legendary Toshiro Mifune. Um, you know he's obviously very exaggerated as like the angsty one, and his mm-hmm. backstory obviously sets up to that. But even all like the lesser character, like lesser, like uh, Kyozo, who the one who's like very serious. He has a duel. The way like they're all reacting when people talk is just so specific. Um, yeah. Which which of the seven did you guys connect with most, or was it a Ooh. blending of them all? Mine was probably not uh, one of the samurais. Mine, my, the the character I connected with the most was probably Yohei. Okay, yeah, Yohei, <laughs> go off. <laughs> Yohei and, boy. His, and his frowns, his faces, greatest are so faces good. in history. Yeah, he like justice for Yohei. He, yeah. like everyone. <laughs> 
like hated him for some reason and <laughs> he was my boy and I love him so much. He was probably my favorite character. Yeah, and it was just ugh, every time he dies it's so sad when he just says like I did I my job. Like, or I, I guarded my post. Or I guarded my post, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just so sad, but so beautiful. And how, like, he's just beat up the whole time. Like, no, no one gives him a break, and he dies defending the people he went out to do. I know it's, it's a great arc for him. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Catcher, what about you? Yeah, my favorite character, I think, of all of them is Kyozo, for mm. sure. He is just so cool and calm. How you're introduced to him is there's like a there's like a battle in the street and all the crowds sort of like come in to watch this battle and uh he's not saying anything and the guy he's facing just won't shut up and he's just talking about how cool he is and they have uh, like a sort of instead of using swords they have a battle with bamboo sticks instead mm-hmm. and they think it's a, he this drunken guy or this full of himself guy thinks that he's won and that it's a draw and Kyozo said, no, I won. He's like, no, let's do it for real. So they do it for real. And he slices that guy up and he makes him look like such a chump. And it's perfect. It's just, I love yeah. this guy. Um, he doesn't get necessarily a lot of screen time. And one of his, like, shout-out moments is in my pick for Criterion Moment. Oh, yeah. So I'll get more into it later. But, yeah, mm-hmm. he's just cool. He's cool as a cucumber. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say that I have a fan fiction idea in my head yes. regarding Please go. Kyuzu? Uh, him, I, I picture him and Katsushiro um, uh, being in a relationship because it, <laughs> from, from my lens, it seems like Katsushiro has a little bit of a crush on him. Sure, sure. It, go, it goes beyond just like idolizing him, yeah. I think. So fanfic idea. He does cry. Him. So much for him at the end. That's so true. I never... And it comes out of nowhere, his idolization of him. Yeah. Like, out of nowhere, he's kind of like, I love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just he just wants to be, you know, Kazushiro, he was such an interesting character because I think oh. everyone can relate to being, I mean, I think everyone can relate to being one of the samurai at, like, any point of time in the film. Like, whether yeah. you're really self-conscious, like Kukichu, or you're a Zen master like Kyozo, or you want to be sort of you need to be like the steady head like uh shimada but i think yeah. katsusuro is just someone everyone definitely was at a point in their time right like you want to yeah. you want to oh, yeah. be you, you like whether it's like the older kids in high school you knew or you know you kind of want to get in with like a friend group there's just like this element of you totally. there's always someone cool you want to look up to and you want to follow and i think that's so endearing yeah. This yeah. podcast is literally me He's being so... him. That's what this podcast <laughs> yeah. is, half, is half about. <laughs> I know, you know I like joked about him being like my boyfriend, but he is such a he's a cool character because he has a very interesting character arc because he's very idealistic and mm-hmm. you know kind of has this this goal and even though um the Kembai is kind of guarding him and not wanting him like trying to like keep him safe and and cautioning him about what happens. And you see him as the film goes on kind of like get swept up with like the harsh reality of what's going on. But I do really love the scene where he just before he meets Shino and he just like stops and smells the flowers and he's just looking mm-hmm. around oh my God, I and, love that scene. you know, just like having a moment. Yeah, I I like it. Yeah, he's, I think he was my favorite. I, I want to talk about just like the this 
this storytelling mastery, and especially since Sophie talked about this in her intro, like I think Boom said when she was watching it, she texted us being like, is it just me or is this the exact <laughs> plot line of A Bug's Life? And <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. I found that in my research. Yeah. Is that like A Bug's Life is like very heavily influenced on um on seven samurai and i think it's a bug's life where there's like actual like almost direct quotes from seven samurai it might there's so many different movies but i actually just recently watched the first half of this for some reason like a month or two ago i think it was on disney plus um and like yeah the grasshoppers come in and they're literally like we're gonna be back next season with our barley you better like be ready yeah amazing goes out to go find like his ragtag group of people Um, but the reason like this movie just ages so well and doesn't feel like you're watching a slog with three and a half hour movie is because it does this collect everyone's plot line so well that millions of other movies have like copied, right. It's a varying level of success, obviously, but it's just such a familiar trope. And I'm assuming there are books. I'm sure books like have done this for years and years before film, but it's just done so so well right like just even in like the pacing of it all i think a lot of movies that do this i get annoyed personally when it's like i think more mcu bashing coming in for me but like (laughs) something you (laughs) know a big issue i had with endgame is that the first half of the movie is just every superhero being like have you heard of thanos no like we should fight thanos okay well a they had 20 other movies to have these conversations (laughs) they should have just kicked off they should have kicked off Endgame. Everyone knew what was going on. But even 100%. if they didn't have the other movies, they spent so much time and like they do it so quickly and so efficiently in yeah. this movie and they're jumping between the village and all the people 100%. and they're still building the relationships. You know, it's just perfect. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just so I, cool. I also feel like Seven Samurai is really amazing at just being so simple. I think I said this in my mm-hmm. intro too. It's the simplicity of the the characters and the and the story that makes it like easy to follow whereas i feel like that's what kind of like the mcu universe or any kind of like modern superhero mm-hmm. um story they just try and get too deep with it all and it's just <laughs> like just be a superhero movie like just be what you need to be like i don't want to go watch the joker and get existential about stuff because like that's how <laughs> shit goes wrong obviously like you know like just be just be what you need to be and that's what seven samurai does you know it's just like let's get this badass group of people together and we're gonna fight some people to get some yeah. rice like that's all you need <laughs> absolutely the thing that like stood stands out to me too is that if you knew nothing about samurai culture, I mean, obviously it's pretty hard to say that because people just like, it's in history and culture. Like they explain everything you need to know about like what samurai philosophy was without saying it. It wasn't, there weren't scenes where like, you know, Kanbe was like scolding someone's like, Hey, like a samurai would never do this. Like totally. samurai is like relaxed. Like they just let you kind of see it play out oh. with the different, with the seven of yeah. them as sort of, I don't know. I, just on what you're saying, like, I really appreciate the authenticity of it. I think kind of sometimes my hesitation with going back to kind of older movies that are considered classics, what deter, what often deters me is a lot of those movies were coming up in the worst of times, like Jim Crow era, like when the wars were going on mm. and you know, quite frankly, they end up being triggering. And we've seen the way that like Hollywood took the samurai and what they did with it. 
So mm. it's kind of nice to kind of go back to the roots of like that figure in cinema and see it without like the gimmicks and, you know, all the mm-hmm. showy, like ridiculous, like caricature stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I, I really appreciated that. Uh, just in terms of like storytelling, um, you were mentioning like there's obviously the amazing sequence where, well, not there's a variety of them where it's a test, like the test to see if if the samurais that they're going to hire are actually samurais, mm-hmm. where mm. you have one guy sitting at the door <laughs> waiting to hit whoever this this un- incoming samurai is over the head as they walk in, and it's like a test yeah. to see how they'll react. And a, a true samurai should not be hit with a stick is the idea. This is the, the test. And so yeah. the way they introduce each character by their reaction to the puzzle that they don't even realize they're a part of is so smart. You get everything you need to know about them. One of the characters doesn't even walk into the house. He sees like what must be the like shadow. footsteps on the ground that have been like shuffled around or is a shadow. Is that what it is? He sees I'm a shadow. I'm not sure. I figured it was ca- like one yeah. of the two. Right, yeah. and so he immediately knows that there's somebody there, and he laughs. I can't remember which one of them it does that, um, but it's just like that's so smart. Where it again, it's telling it through action, how they behave, how they move around. That's so that's so good. Um, and yeah. then the second thing that I really love is like uh, his visual storytelling skills are really smart. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, but the thing that really got me was this isn't black and white. So how do you differentiate between the characters from a distance Mm. or when they're all together? Mm. And what's really smart is each one of them has a completely different patterned outfit. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And so it's like, you don't even need to see their faces to know who you're dealing with and who they are. And Mm -hmm. I just think that is so incredibly smart and forward thinking just with regards to giving your audience what they need to get through the movie um, I just thought that that was the thing that like sort of blew my mind the most. Um, but actually going back to sort of what Boom said in terms of being like intimidated by watching these old movies, mm-hmm. I get nervous cause we've had a couple of guests on the show and they've both picked like big heavy hitters, like eight and a half and now mm-hmm. uh, seven samurai. And I'm always really nervous about picking those big movies because I always feel like we need to be more prepared, <laughs> you know, like I want to do them in a <laughs> oh, year's yeah. time after we've been recording for, for whatever. And what's been really um, impactful for me is realizing that good films are universal and mm. like, yeah, you're and so timeless, timeless. Like you completely sympathize with ev- like with everything that's going on in this movie. It's not a foreign yeah. concept to you. This idea that no. you need to defend your home this idea that maybe you're not working hard enough maybe to defend mm, your yeah. own home. You know, like yeah. what's really great is they're not, yes, they have to go in and defend this village, but what you get to see is sort of like the complacency in the village and there's sort of like uh, mm-hmm. sort of the misgivings of this town of like maybe they've gotten, not that they've gotten themselves into this mess themselves, but, you know, there you, you have to step up. And the idea that mm-hmm. they sort of tackle these different ideas are, it, it was just, it's powerful because you realize how sort of similar cultures are you know there's always yeah. going to be the the specifics of each culture but there's so much mm-hmm. about human beings experience that are so shared by everybody yeah and that's what's yeah. been like so powerful about watching all these movies and, and this one in particular where i was just like yep okay cool we're yeah, all the same i people. agree 
Yeah, I was honestly like, after, right after I sent the voicemail, I'm like, why did I do that? Like, I am, this is such a film bro type of movie. I'm not a film bro. I like, I'm scared that I'm going to say the wrong thing when talking about this movie because it's such a classic. But like, I like talked myself down because I'm like, A, Synonauts is like the anti-film bro <laughs> podcast because you just make these conversations way more accessible. And B, Catcher, like you said, like the themes are so universal and it's like, it's actually a very easy to film, uh, easy to film, easy film to talk about. Um, and if anyone makes it like complicated, it's because they want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> I want to talk about just like the cinematography of this yep. movie. I mean, there's oh, so much we can wow. talk about for yeah, a so three good. and a half hour movie, but Kurosawa, like he's just... I mean, everything about this movie, and I know they, like, filmed in, like, less than perfect standards, but, like, even, it it just, he's so controlled behind the camera that it even seems mm -hmm. like the way the, like, he was controlling the wind. Mm. And, like, yeah. every time, like, a gust of sand went by, it just looked <laughs> like that was the perfect moment for this gust of sand to come by. And, yeah. like, like, of course, they were, like, that, that, the storm at the final battle, you could have put that on a set and it would have made sense, but, like, it was just a circumstance of the weather and it was like, it's still just so perfect. Like, wait, so was, was that, was all the rain in that movie real rain? I'm fairly confident it was. Wow. I, that is insane. I'm going to have yeah. to, I'm going to have to cross check this now, but I'm fairly yeah. confident. Like most of the elements were completely real. That's probably why it took so long to film because they were like, like waiting for the, like, <laughs> were they all just waiting and they're like, okay, today's the day for the <laughs> final battle scene. Rain day. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'll fact check that later, but I'm pretty sure that was. But were there any like, if it's not in your Criterion yeah. moment, were there specific scenes yeah. that just like visually stood this out is to you? Probably somebody's Criterion moment. It's not mine, but the funeral scene, mm -hmm. uh, the burial scene, it, before right before like the bandits come, I believe, mm -hmm. was quite powerful and so beautifully crafted. That like wide shot of the hill and like the heaping pile with the sword. And then again, they do that in the end, you know, but mm -hmm. it kind of took me back to like when we were watching Barry Lyndon and we were talking about how picturesque everything was. And I felt the exact same way. I was just like not a single person out of place. Emotion is being conveyed so boldly and so purely um, that really that really gripped that really gripped me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the blocking, the blocking in in this movie, especially in the oh, first yeah. half, when all the they're movement, all, yeah, yeah. But like when they're all in what I I guess is like a hotel, like what sure. you would classify as a hotel, you know, right. uh, in this it's like fifteen hundred, so it's you know figure that out as a hotel. <laughs> um, but it's like there's there's seven of these people in a room in a very small space and the way that he has them yeah the blocking of them you always see where all of them are you know you all the the way that they move in frame is just so well choreographed um and then and the camera is just like yeah it's just it's exactly where it needs to be it's not overbearing it's not like check out this really cool shot um it's just like it's giving you all the information you need i think the only thing that age doesn't do well for this movie is sort of like the final climactic battle. I think it's just, it's impressive what he's done. I don't want to take anything away from that. Like it, it's, 
there's a lot being conveyed. And I think some of it may have to do with, I've only watched this movie once. And if I sat through it two or three or four more times, like my appreciation for the cinematography might be increased, but it's just like having, having all the knowledge that filmmakers have now to this time, like there's so many, like there's movies that just feel a little bit more controlled. Like the image is just a little bit stronger and this felt a little bit sloppy by the end, but like what you're watching is bananas and there are some shots Mm -hmm. in the final battle especially like the sort of final push the last 13 bandits are Mm -hmm. sort of let through the wall there's a scene where the camera's like out like sort of watching them come around a corner that is stunning that is Mm -hmm. gorgeous like blew my mind i was like wow this movie's beautiful um but and there, for when it was filmed, I mean, 1954, 1954. like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I was looking up other films that came out in 1954, and there are maybe two other movies, like, Singing in the Rain is one of them. It was like, mm-hmm. that was shot on a stage, and mm-hmm. that's a totally different vibe. Like, yeah. nobody else was making movies that look like this. Like, it's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. God, the original Godzilla came out the same year, so a big year for oh, Japanese wow. cinema. And Toho, Studi- Toho Studios, the, the production company mm-hmm. behind both of them. Big year yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sophie, any specific uh, moments of visual brilliance for um, you? I think the moment that sticks out of my mind that's not my Criterion moment is um, when Katsushiro and Shino, is mm-hmm. that the girl's Chino, name? Shino, yeah. Yeah, get caught doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like a really sad scene, but then the rain just kind of like adds to it. And like, she's kind of like lying and crying on the floor and Katsushiro is just kind of like staring into nothing. And it's just like super sad. And the weather is just, you know, kind of like yeah. showing how, how sad that moment is. So that's one that sticks out in my mind kind of, but I, I really want to know if it's real rain or not. Cause there are so many moments I'm like this, this would, be so hard to film yeah i i like, just I, I just read um i was just doing some searching and like Toshio mifune said it was like the worst set or the worst shoot he's ever been on like in terms of weather so i'm uh, assuming it's real wow. he said it was the coldest he had ever been in a shoot so i'm yeah, yeah. yeah. well well i'll awesome. just follow up on that but because like japan gets cold yeah like it's like the winters are not like california winters like right. it's like they have like real winters there yeah. i think but um yeah that's wild yeah crazy um any last things again these these goddamn movies they're all too good it sucks that we have to mm-hmm. always make these just 45 minute conversations um yeah. there there is one thing yes, i just please. wanted to note yes. that i think was slightly ahead of its time but yes not in terms of like filmmaking in general just like as term in terms of like a theme that was shown in a couple moments is like men kind of being comfortable with talking about their emotions mm-hmm. oh and yes like, like, and it, it it just felt weird that it was coming from, like, samurais mm-hmm. and, like, like who are, like, warriors. But there's this, like, specific moment when one of the samurais, I forget which one, is talking to, what's his name, Rikishi? Rikishi? Mm-hmm. And it's, like, before anyone knows about, like, what happened to his wife and he's being, like, really reserved. And, like, one of the samurais, like, goes and, like, sits beside him and is just, like you know, there's like strength and like talking about your emotions yes. and like you mm-hmm. can't like bottle stuff up and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what, what kind of dude is talking about that in the fifties? Mm-hmm. Like mm. dudes in 2020 are not going to be doing that. <laughs> like that, 
that to me was just like that came out of left field. I was like, I did not expect yeah. it to go that way at all. I mean, so. even just like an Asian culture as a whole, like yeah, Asian men totally. are always so like emotions guarded behind, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, everything's just 100%. like heads down business and, you know. Japanese so, culture I in agree. particular too. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So that was one thing I just wanted to point out yeah. that I love. Men talking about their emotions. <laughs> and Ka- and Katsushiro putting his emotions yeah. out there for everyone to see yeah. all the that's time. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's why he's my baby. <laughs> <laughs> Please cut that out. No, no never. No, no, no. I'm yeah. definitely keeping that in. Nope. Um, all right. So let's get to our criterion moments. This is the moment or scene or sequence that we think is the reason why featured at the number two spot in the Criterion Collection of all things. Um, Sophie, we'll we'll go with you first. What's yours? I'm glad I'm first because I think mine's kind of a cop out, but (laughs) I do genuinely think the final battle scene is just like epic. And like, Catcher, I agree. There were some things that it's like, eh, like that looked a little weird, but also every time that happened, I tried to put my mind back into the mind of someone living in the 1950s and watching this for the first time for the first time. Um, and that was probably like mesmerizing or like terrifying. I don't know like what people thought when they were first watching that, but yeah, that scene was just like, I was more hyped watching that than like an Avengers fight (laughs) battle scene, you know, like seriously, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so that that was probably my criterion moment. It was epic. Yeah, it's it's so damn good. And how like the whole movie is basically daytime and then just like they save all the night wild stuff yeah. for, for the end. The movie is like kind of a slow build mm-hmm. up until like, you know, this point is going to get there. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to this point and you're like, I better not be let down by this scene <laughs> because like this whole movie is like gearing towards the scene. So it was like so good that it just didn't yeah. disappoint. I also like how it was like staggered and sorry, like the bits that we got of the battle, it it was kind of like dragged out, but not, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just like, you could tell you got a feeling that it was going on for a long time. And I love that they showed like different people in different posts and it all wasn't taking place necessarily in one kind of contained space. I, I appreciated that. I thought it was really cool. And I just like the way that they were like strategizing and it showed them strategizing and like kind of adjusting their game plan. It was cool. It was hype. This movie actually, was so hype. Actually, like, yes, yeah. that's a, a really good point actually to bring up that we maybe should have brought up to like the during the main segment of the show. But it's like the fact that so much is going on in that second half of the movie, like after the intermission, the, the battle, it's not just one battle. It's like multiple days of battles. And the fact that like, like I play a lot of D&D and we usually don't play with maps and it's mm-hmm. really hard for me to understand like where stuff is, how we're moving through a space. Mm-hmm. And Kurosawa does such an incredible job of making you feel like you know where all the different posts are of the protection spots at the village. And he even mm-hmm. has a section where Hembei is going through and like visually knocking off mm-hmm. circles that represent sort of the 40 bandits that are coming to this place. And the idea that you're mm-hmm. like you're visual, you're seeing the progress that's being made, um, that's that's yeah. not an easy feat. So yeah, that's yeah. Fine. yeah. Sorry for cutting in there, but no, I love it. I think this is like Kurosawa. I know we try to keep our episodes contained to like an hour, but 
This is Ian's favorite. So you know what? You go on and treat yourself to like an hour <laughs> and 20 minute episode. All right. <laughs> yeah. If we're doing a three and a half hour movie, like yeah, yeah. it's going to be a longer episode. Tough to trim down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my criterion moment is when uh, Kikuchio sounds the alarm and the villagers come mm. out of hiding, but the samurai don't know what's going on. And there's like, those quick cuts of them running and that was hype AF. I was so pumped. (laughs) I was so amped. I almost wish that there was like more stylized stuff like that in there, but I not, I don't necessarily think it was needed. I just thought that was really cool. And it just kind of made me be like, okay, these guys are super legit. Cause, and I don't know. It kind of reminded me of like when the Power Rangers like get called to action, you know, like it gave me that feeling as a kid, like when I would be watching like something like the Power Rangers as a kid, I was like, okay, like here we go. Even though it was kind of like a false alarm in the end, but like, I just really, really loved that moment. So I loved and good. No, it's just like such a wonderful like character moment for all the samurai where it's just like you realize how much this village needs them. You know, yeah, and it's like, yeah. and, and and the camaraderie between Samurai, like they've all likely individually seen this in totally so many different ways. And that, mm-hmm. uh, what's it, Kiki Ichu, right? Is that right? Is that right? His name. Uh, the fact that he, like he turns it on them so fast, and the and that he yeah. calls out the villagers mm-hmm. so quickly is, um, it's just so telling about where they've been. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah the uh, I, I loved every time anyone was running on screen. Everyone runs. Every time anyone was running on screen, I was like, "This is fucking awesome!" Just like the like the pitter patter of like their sandals, and then just so all the fast. sand dirt flying around. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. just so cool. That's how everybody got around. There were no cars or no scooters. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you get around by feet. You don't have time to waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also feel like it was it's an accurate portrayal of how people run. Like this, like people like action stars like running like it's this. Not no Tom Cruise like running. Yeah. Out. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, who played a samurai? Yeah, Tom in the last samurai. Speaking of, <laughs> yeah. don't don't want to talk about that. But. My criterion moment is when Kukichu uh, dies. I think that whole oh, yeah. sequence oh. just like really is the perfect arc to his character. Like, absolutely. He 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 sees someone get shot. Well, he's reacting first of all from Yohei getting killed. Who he'd been he's been like mm-hmm. messing with the whole movie. That sets him off, and then he sees someone get shot, and he realizes someone's hiding in, um, in a house somewhere, and he's the last one. He runs the door, gets shot, and then he still charges in to get that final kill. And like, yeah. a the storytelling there is like beautiful, but then like that shot of him for the outside, and then the camera cuts through into the house and yeah, follows him walking in. I was like, God, that's so, that's so cool, and like he just makes sure he gets the final kill. I mean, I I love that, and it's just it's so yeah. cool. I, I mean, boom, yeah. Texted us saying, "I love him, but I'm getting the vibes. He's gonna, he's gonna die." <laughs> yeah. I didn't and, want to tell her. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to tell uh, you, but yeah, I mean, his his death is just—it's a noble death. So meaningful. Yeah, I think all yeah. the deaths are kind of perfect, right? Yeah. Like everyone, all the samurai, yeah. every character who like main character who dies dies in like a kind of a perfect way for their character. Um, so shout out to Kurosawa writing sweet deaths, but um, yeah, mm. that that one's yeah. fine. Uh, he also died with his butt in his air in the air so that was on brand <laughs> Very on brand. <laughs> uh, catcher what's yours uh so going back to kyuzo uh he's the the super 
quiet the sword uh, master super sword master yeah there's a scene where so uh the bandits have muskets three muskets and that's causing some trouble for them mm-hmm. uh and it's something that they themselves could use uh in defending the village and so he just says like i'm gonna go get one and then disappears into the forest <laughs> and then some stuff happens whatever and then next thing you know it's like everyone's on edge they know someone's coming and he comes out yeah. from like the fog and he's got the gun and he hands over the gun and then just sits down and takes a nap and yeah. i'm just like this is the cool he this is the coolest dude that's ever Love existed that. no one has ever been as cool <laughs> as this guy like he says nothing he doesn't need to say anything everything ever his actions speak for him you know and it's just like I, there are more beautiful sequences. There are more like vital <laughs> sequences in this movie to like explain how good it is. But that of is course. far none the most fun I had the whole time. Yeah, Easily. yeah, it, it's extremely, extremely badass. Yeah. It would also be the prologue of the fan fiction with him and Katsushiro. That's where <laughs> their love begins. That scene. I think lo- I think Katsushiro's love begins at first sight. After that, anyone he sees. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> I'm in luck. <laughs> um, uh, let's get to uh, our satellite picks. Let's go in reverse order. Catcher, what's your satellite pick oh, for this okay. film? I have a bunch that I assumed they would, uh, would have all been taken. So I tried to come up with other ones, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, but since I'm going first, it's trouble for the rest of you. Uh, I'm going to pick Ocean's Eleven. Hmm. Uh, just, I mean, there are nice. other ones that are more direct, um, you know, like what well, maybe we'll get into them. It doesn't matter. Um, but I, I just, at some point during the movie, all halfway through the first part where they're collecting everybody, I was like, man, this kind of feels like an Ocean's Eleven movie where you're just collecting the gang. And then of course, like you yeah. do your research and you're like, oh yeah, this guy invented in not invent, but pretty much invented like the collect the team, uh, mm-hmm trope in films and so that that for me is like the thing i would say you want a modern day version of this that's a fun blast movie any of the oceans movies have this sequence and yeah so oceans 11 i like that nice Um, also makes me want to rewatch that movie (laughs) i haven't seen it forever i think i've only seen the movie like maybe twice yeah add that to my list uh all right so then i'll go so my pick is kind of lazy because it's another kurosawa but my personal favorite Kurosawa is Throne of Blood. It's from 1957. Um, it's adapted off of Shakespeare's play Macbeth. Is that the colored Ooh. one? With all no, the, super- the colored one is Rand. That one is also oh, very okay. good. That's okay. from like the 80s. But Throne of Blood is very, very good. Um, cool. If you, it, it has a really, really famous ending sequence um, that involves like an assault of, um, uh, like an assault of arrows, and it's just amazing when you watch it you're like how like was this done and it's it's cool. complete it's com- completely mind-blowing um yeah Tashira Mufuni Mufune is in it also um and he plays the lead character in this as well so very very good nice recommend cool. that for anyone who watched this got turned on to Kurosawa and wants to watch more is it three and a half hours long as well uh no it's hour 51 minutes so oh nice. easy yeah so yeah much easier cool uh boom Um, okay. Yeah. So I also picked another Kurosawa. I was obviously going to pick a bug's life, but I was like, okay, I can do way better than this. (laughs) Cause I usually go 
for a more thematic pairing, but uh, yeah, this time I'm going to stay in the world of Kurosawa because my interest has definitely been piqued. And watching Seven Samurai was the first time I had seen one of his films. Um, and I think even though the themes of his film, the themes of his films may vary, it's evident he's like a true master of his craft. So today I started watching uh, Rashomon. Mm. Um, I have about 20 minutes to go still because I was watching it before uh, we started recording, but I'm really loving it. And it's the case of a murdered samurai and the different people involved giving their like varying accounts of what and how it happened. And it's like more philosophical and psychological than Seven Samurai and quite different. But if Seven Samurai has kind of like brought you to the line of loving Kurosawa, I think this film will definitely tip the scale. Uh, similar to what Ian was saying. And I just think it's very clever and engaging and well-crafted. And again, just like lays the ground for the future of cinema at that time. So, cool. and it's on the, it's on their Criterion channel as well. So it's uh, easy to find. Nice. Yeah. And um, obviously we like the Criterion channel here. Um, yeah. <laughs> but if you don't have it, a lot of Kurosawa stuff is on HBO Max also, like a good amount of oh, cool. his stuff. And a lot of the yeah. old, vid a lot of the old Godzilla stuff, there's like a ton on there. So yeah. Nice. Also a pro tip where to watch it. Um, I found out that you could watch it at, at, or seven samurai, at least you could watch it at like Toronto public libraries, like online mm. platforms. Hoopla. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And Canopy, yeah. Canopy as well actually has oh, like a Canopy, lot of yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Criterion Collection movies on their channel, which is cool. Can Canopy? Yeah. No, no, no. This <laughs> is like the, this is like an everybody thing. It's in the states as well. It's called Canopy, and yeah. it just uses your uh, public library, library card. card to sign in. Anyone can do it. It's cool. Yep. Yeah. Nice, uh, Sophie. What is your? Mine is kind of basic, but I'm. It, it was my pick because I recently did like a whole watch through of all of the Star Wars movies. Oh yeah. Um during the holidays cuz that's usually if I'm going to do a Star Wars marathon it's during the holidays. Um so my pick is A New Hope because mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite assemble the crew yes. movies. Yeah. And I think Kurosawa is a big influence for George Lucas, mm -hmm. so yeah. um Yeah, A, a New yeah. Hope is actually pretty much based off of uh, Hidden uh -huh. Fortress. Yeah. Of, yeah, and all his yeah. wipes are obviously inspired, right? Yeah, all yeah. the wipes, yeah, lot, lots of things in there. Nice, yeah, yeah. So that was Seven Samurai again. Could talk about this movie all day, forever. forever. We have one voicemail this week. If Ooh. you want to shoot us a voicemail or leave us an email, we'll listen and talk about it on an episode. Shoot us an email at synonotspod at gmail.com. Uh, this one comes from our friend Ren Mike D. He uh, hosts a podcast called Will Run For, uh, where he and I think three other hosts, they talk about exercising and running and all that sort of stuff. It's like, I, I don't really exercise that much, but it is like a really fun <laughs> listen to. So I actually do recommend it to regardless of what your running nice. habits are. Uh, it is a fun, it's a fun cool. listen. All kinds of stuff too. It's all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, here is Mike. Hello, Synonauts. Uh, it's Michael. Felt like I was about to break into an H impression there. Anyway, uh, so this is uh, nothing to do with Seven Samurai. Uh, it's more inspired by uh, Boom's uh, discussion last week about black cinema in general and representation in cinema, etc. And um, so 
kind of like last year, the year before, I stumbled upon, or not stumbled upon, but became more aware of uh, black silent films. And I guess, I think, I forget what the actual genre they, that it's used as like race films or whatever it was used at the time. But um, there's a site that I follow, um, moviesilently.com, that does reviews of more obscure silent, silent films, uh, like not your Charlie Chaplin's and stuff. They do those, but uh, a lot of other ones, more diverse from other countries, from women, from uh, black filmmakers. And um, they had featured a bunch, obviously, last February and then years prior to that. And so I stumbled it down it there. And then I attached an article from actually Rotten Tomatoes about it. So I think it's something that people aren't aware of that would be mm. nice for people to be aware of. Mm. Cool. Is that cool. these films exist and it's not just all Al Jolson style blackface nonsense <laughs> from back then. Yeah. And horrific things like that. There was actual real films being made by actual real black people and not <laughs> people in blackface. <laughs> just as there was films being made by women in other countries of, you know, people of all diverse backgrounds. It's just that those films are just, just get no... Um, just get you know get forgotten essentially compared yeah. to all the other things so uh i attached the article and movie silently is a, a great twitter account to follow and uh has some great reviews on her site so that's a great one to check out all right later thanks cool. thanks, thanks mike. mike yeah that's uh, awesome moviessilently.com i'll link these in the show notes and we'll post it on our socials and stuff like that cool i i've never heard of that site yeah um, yeah so this is leading into my pick for director next week so Ooh, okay which is well, cool yeah thank you mike again if you want to shoot us an email uh you can go to synonotspod at gmail.com but now uh let's get to our guests pick next week which will be announced by dear catcher yeah so uh just going back and forth with joseph trying to figure out what he want uh what they wanted to to pick for next week uh and their films are very much about uh, sort of queer culture and, and representation. And so he uh, thought it best to go with Gus Van Zandt's My Own Private Idaho. Nice. So that's what we'll be covering cool. uh, next week, which is really exciting. Nice. I love Gus Van Zandt. So I'll I'm let excited. Joseph sort of speak to more about why and his interest. But yeah. Nice. This is our first Keanu also, I believe. Oh, mm. it's, it's about time. Thank you, Joseph. <laughs> we all remember our first Keanu. <laughs> Isn't Keanu Canadian? Is he? Partially, at least, the I fact think. That you, yeah. The fact that you even had to ask that, Jess. <laughs> I was just being humble. Yes. I didn't want to get the, make the Americans upset. He's ours, guys. <laughs> uh, uh, well, that's great. Yeah, pick. I'm excited. I have not visited that movie in a long time, so I'm um, looking forward to talking about that. Same. Perfect. Well, we have come to the end of our discussion. Sophie, thank yes. you so much for hanging out with us today. This was so much fun. Any any last words other than go listen to Hope This Finds Me Well? Yeah, Hope This Finds Me Well every Tuesday for the next few weeks and... Yeah, no, this was honestly so much fun and I'm obsessed with all of you. So it <laughs> felt like I was Aww. listening to an episode, but I just got to be part of the conversation, yes. which is so cool. Um, and yeah, no, this was fun. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, also, this. Oh, good. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say this was another all fireside panel. We got two Sagittarius oh, yeah. and two Leos today. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it wasn't too much for y'all. The, the fireside energy, strong. That's yeah, right. uh, Katya, right. your, your hand was up earlier. Did did you have something? I just I just wanted to say when when you fight for others, you fight for yourself, and mm. but by by protecting others, you save yourself. Mm. You know, that's just wise words. Just Famous last words. That's right, Kambe, thank you. Wise also, yeah. this movie invented a lot of things, but I'm convinced that this is the first time. Someone carried a baby around to make people listen to them more. And Kembe pulls that off, like, in the beginning. He's carrying a baby to convince everyone, like, what to do next. And I just yeah. think that must be the first time that's ever happened. Yeah. Oh, also, I didn't get to say this, but bald caps. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's all, go. I mean, we don't, the bald It's a caps, choice. The bald caps probably looked fine on, like, 180p resolution in 1954. Yeah. But... The more it gets upscaled, the more. Because when I was watching it, I actually didn't remember the bald caps. Because I was actually thinking, They're man, so all, before I watch it, I was like, man, all these dudes like shave their heads like in this insane no. fashion for the shoot. But nope, they they some were definitely did. bald some, caps. Some you can tell like committed yeah. and like shaved their goddamn head like halfway. <laughs> <laughs> but some were bad bald caps. Anyways, just had to get that out there. Uh, well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, yeah. Send us pictures of your bald caps. Yeah, and we will uh, <laughs> talk to all of you next week. Bye. 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 So long.